You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but first, breaking details about two shootings on the Lower Mainland. The most recent happened in Abbotsford around 4 o'clock this afternoon. Police confirming shots fired at the intersection of Ross Road and Simpson Road, right near Ross Elementary School. Details are still coming in, but you can see an air ambulance landed in the field at the school to take at least one victim who received CPR to hospital. People being advised to avoid the area for the time being to allow emergency services access. We'll have more on this breaking story as it becomes available. And now to the other one. Breaking details of a shooting in the Guildford area of Surrey just before the Abbotsford violence, and that's where Tanya Beja is. Tanya, this happened in a residential neighborhood as well. What have you learned? Well, Chris, the shooting happened around 1.30 this afternoon on a day when many people stayed home from work. So there were uh, several witnesses. Some of them tell us they heard three or four gunshots followed by a pause and then three or four more gunshots. Uh, those living on 153A Street say that when they heard the gunfire, they looked outside and saw two black vehicles racing up the street. Now, police confirm they found evidence here leading them to believe that the occupants of two cars were shooting at each other before fleeing the scene. Uh, one parked car was hit by a stray bullet. Here's more now from the owner of that vehicle and others living nearby. Came home and uh, I, we heard some sirens and then uh, we, just, we thought nothing of it. And basically we, we came back upstairs. We saw the police tape all around uh, each side of the intersection and went over to my car and there was a bullet hole in the front windshield. We've been here 25 years and have never seen anything like this. So it... Yeah, it's, it's upsetting. No victim was located. Police did spend the afternoon canvassing the neighbourhood and they are asking anybody with information to contact them. Chris, back to you. All right, thanks very much for that, Tanya. It's only been a few weeks since a judge found a North Vancouver townhouse owner in contempt of court for continuing to rent out her unit as a hostel, ignoring every ruling to shut it down. She promised this time she'd stop, but neighbors of Emily Yu tell Global News she's at it again. John Wah has more on the allegations and the ongoing battle. This is the sound. Residents of a North Vancouver strata hoped to stop hearing. That going down the pathway and you know someone's coming or leaving. How are you? But just days after Emily Yu was found in contempt of court on October 24th for continuing to rent out beds in her townhouse turned 14 bed hostel. Neighbors claim the sound was back again. I heard the suitcases and I kind of looked out, saw a couple more people coming out of Emily's place. As I came around the corner, I saw three individuals with uh, three suitcases. Gabriel Voggy says when he spotted the trio this weekend, he decided to speak with them to be sure. And I said, oh, you must have been staying at Emily's hostel. And they said yes. No, that's not true. I do not have anybody stay in my place. This is a totally rumor. And uh, I really don't have time for the rumors. At the contempt of court hearing, Justice Barry Davies looked straight at Emily Yu and asked her if she would stop renting out her rooms to short-term tenants or anyone else for that matter. Yu agreed. He then said actions speak louder than words and gave her four months to prove it before handing down a sentence for being found in contempt of court. But Justice Davies reminded Emily Yu that if she did not keep her word, he could hand down a much stronger punishment than just fines. The judge didn't say that I had to stop. He said I decided to stop for now. 
In fact, Yu doesn't seem to see the four months as a window to prove she deserves a lighter sentence, but claims the case was delayed because contempt was not proven beyond a reasonable doubt. He suspended the sentence for a purpose because he wanted to see whether or not she would comply. The Strata's lawyer won't be waiting four months to head back to court, seeking a stronger ruling, including the forced sale of Yu's home. This may be the only way that we're able to uh, finally put an end to this very long saga. Neighbors say until something drastic is done to shut down this illegal hostel, they will continue to be haunted by this sound. John Hua, Global News. And now to the ferocious wildfires consuming parts of California. At least 31 people are dead and more than 200 others unaccounted for. Thousands of homes have been lost, and there are fears the disaster could worsen as strong Santa Ana winds threaten to amplify the already deadly and destructive firestorm. This is what the firefight looks like in the mountains outside Los Angeles. The air attack swooping in just above fiery ridges. Multi-million dollar homes on the brink of disaster. I am surrounded by fire. Many neighborhoods overrun by an unstoppable wall of fire. A vortex of smoke and flames closing in. It was a tornado. I mean, it wasn't going like this. It was swirling. With embers raining down, firefighters face a hellscape. Losing more homes over the weekend and two new flare-ups today, causing panic on the freeway. In neighborhoods like this one, where brush fires are burning, they can easily ignite nearby homes. Across the state, the damage and devastation is staggering. The death toll climbing to at least 31. More than 7,000 structures have burned, while tonight across California, 70,000 homes are still in the path of fire. How quickly is this fire jumping from hill to hill? Very fast, very fast. Destroying subdivisions in the West Valley and mansions in Malibu, Neil Young, Miley Cyrus and actor Gerard Butler all lost their homes. Welcome to my home in Malibu. Everyone grateful for first responders, including the president, who himself came under fire for blaming the blaze on California's management of forest land. Critics blasting back, calling the statement ill-timed. But tonight on the front lines, no time for politics for those facing peril. There's nothing left of anything. With the loss here mounting, tonight more danger is looming. The winds threatening to unleash hell on earth again. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Malibu. And fire crews in Northern California are now in their fourth day battling the deadly campfire that has claimed at least 29 lives. There are, or that fire, growing slightly overnight, but crews continue to work to push it back with an aerial assault. It's burned more than 6,400 homes, making it the most destructive fire in California history. A grueling recovery starting for residents of a town called Paradise, where little is left but charred ruins. You might want to hedge your bets and do any online holiday shopping early this year. There could be delays delivering those packages. Rotating strike action continues in Canada Post with workers walking the picket line outside the huge sorting facility in Richmond today. And that's where our Grace Key is tonight. Grace, even a mediator hasn't been able to help so far. Yeah, and certainly that was disappointing news for the workers here. But as you can see behind me here, 
they are not giving up. They are still holding strong here as they find out what's their next move. Canada Post rotating strikes have now hit a major processing center in Richmond. It's an international access point for mail and on a typical day processes four million letters and packages. And now it's all come to a stop. Workers here walked off the job Friday night. On Sunday, the deadline for the mediator's appointment has come and gone with still no agreement in sight. We were hoping for better results, but we're not getting anywhere. Canada Post needs to take it very serious. As I said, we have many outstanding demands we are waiting for to get res resolution. The Canada Union of Postal Workers represents 50,000 workers, and according to the union, both parties remain far apart. Some key demands include health and safety, staffing, overburdening, and job security. After 10 months of negotiations, both sides have been unable to reach a new collective agreement. Christmas season is approaching and we know that's when uh, Canadians use Canada Post more than uh, at any other time. Of course, management and the union both know this. Uh, but uh, if we don't see a significant uh, resolution uh, shortly, uh, all options will be on the table uh, for resolving this. In a statement, Canada Post says Vancouver is a key processing hub for mail and parcels in Canada. And the union's rotating strikes will have a significant impact on our operations and cause further backlogs of trailers. Now entering its third week, rotating strikes have shut down operations in more than 150 communities across the country. Expect delays here with a major hub now shut down. All right, Grace, uh, at least from the workers' perspective, kind of an ominous clip there from the Prime Minister. Do we have any idea when they could be back at work? and how much it would affect if they stay out longer, well, Cyber Monday, Christmas packages, things like that? Yeah. Yeah, well, they are going to be waiting for their next move from National, so it's unclear right now. But, you know, yesterday and today they weren't fully operational, so that did help out the situation. But we are moving into our 72nd hour, so any longer, of course, that's going to affect Cyber Monday, Christmas, and, of course, BC elections will be keeping a close eye on well. But you can see behind me here this group. We've got the evening shift in, I think, and they are a very lively bunch, and they are certainly not giving up. Chris? A boisterous crowd for sure. Thanks very much. Grace, that's Grace Key in Richmond for us tonight. A water main break near the Johnson Street Bridge in Victoria caused a lot of frustration for drivers this morning. That break happened at Taiyi and Esquimalt Road around 7 a.m., forcing the closure of the bridge. It reopened a few hours later, but traffic was detoured for much of the day as crews worked to repair the road. A group of Vancouver parents is claiming the province will waste millions of dollars seismically upgrading a nearly 100-year-old school. Catherine Urquhart explains why parents believe the plan is short-sighted and will eventually end up costing taxpayers a lot more than building a brand new school. On a holiday Monday, parents and kids gather outside Edith Cavell Elementary School. The group preparing to challenge plans for a seismic upgrade, saying a new school makes more sense. We're very concerned that the decision making that, that's gone on with the Vancouver School Board and Ministry of Education is short-sighted and not the best use of tax dollars. Vancouver's Edith Cavell is 98 years old. Located along the busy and growing Canby Street corridor, it's at 120% capacity. 
Several classes are in trailers. Squishy. I don't know, the bathrooms are sort of dirty. And then over there, there's four portables, and so we don't have much space to play on. A seismic upgrade will cost more than $15 million, a new school about $21 million. And during seismic upgrades, kids will need to be bused to alternate schools 10 kilometres away. The VSB did not provide comment. BC's education minister told Global News... Trustees and VSB administrators are meeting with Cavell Elementary School parents to consider the best options. I look forward to hearing the outcome. While it costs a little bit more up front, in the long run, it's much cheaper to have a new building. The maintenance is cheaper. It's a more efficient building. It would save over a million dollars in the first 10 years and over two and a half over the 40-year lifespan of the building. Edith Cavell kids and parents are planning a large-scale rally Tuesday and say they'll be at the Vancouver School Board meeting Wednesday as they continue to lobby for a new school. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The city of Surrey is defending a move to cut down a number of large trees along Crescent Road. The city claims the trees are diseased and dangerous, but some residents question that assessment. The 30 or so trees were cut down on the north side of Crescent Road just east of the main parking area for Elgin Heritage Park. Neighbors raising concerns tonight, saying the tree stumps sure look healthy, and they believe the only reason they were cut down was to create a view corridor of a nearby pond and the North Shore Mountains. There's some signs posting that they're doing this, this work on you know, Heritage Park, the danger tree work, and they said they were taking out dead, dying, and diseased trees. Well. They may be dead now, but they, they weren't a couple weeks ago. And from what I remember, and looking at the canopy of the other trees here, these were just as healthy as the other ones. Don Pitcairn says tomorrow he'll be calling the city hall for the arborist report to find out how and why the trees were classified as hazardous. First, though, drug-resistant bacteria could soon become a greater threat to human health than cancer or even diabetes. And most people don't understand why. On this first day of World Antibiotic Awareness Week, Linda Aylesworth tells us about the emerging healthcare crisis and what we have to do to stop it. They are antibiotics. Their discovery by Scottish microbiologist Alexander Fleming nearly 90 years ago revolutionized healthcare and was invaluable during World War II. Penicillin wasn't available to the civilian population, but it was available for soldiers and it saved thousands of lives on the battlefields of Europe and, and uh, Japan. But even then, there were concerns that penicillin was not invincible. Fleming was mentioning that there was always the risk of evolution of resistance. And within five to ten years, the first resistant strains were in evidence. Resistance not only continues today, it's on the rise. In fact, no bacteria is immune to it. That now if you go to your doc with a urinary tract infection or with a skin infection, you've got about a one in four chance of having a bug that's harder to treat than it was 15 or 20 years ago. Thousands die each year because of it. But what is antibiotic resistance? 61% of Canadians believe it means their bodies are resistant to the drugs. That's not how it works at all. It's this natural selection phenomenon where it's the bacteria that's resistant to the antibiotic. Physicians have significantly cut back on prescribing antibiotics. Even so, resistance grows. What isn't killed gets stronger. So, so the bacteria develop resistance mechanisms and they pass them on to their progeny. And the bacteria of today are different than the bacteria of 50 years ago. 
The solution isn't as easy as creating more antibiotics. The incentive just isn't there anymore. A lot of drug companies have actually pulled away from researching in this area because they can make more money out of uh, new uh, arthritis drugs or Viagra equivalents. And so the message on this World Antibiotic Resistance Week is to further reduce unnecessary use of antibiotics. How? We can prevent infections from happening in the first place using vaccines, hand washing, good hygiene. Because if you don't get an infection, you don't have to worry about how to treat it with an antibacterial. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A disturbing case of vandalism in downtown Vancouver. The statue honoring legendary Canucks coach Pat Quinn hit by vandals. The face and other parts of the statue covered in a kind of orangey-red paint. The memorial was unveiled in February of 2017, two years after Quinn's death. Tonight, the Canucks are calling the vandalism disrespectful and say they're in the process of restoring the statue. The perils of one of social media's most popular platforms and the lack of customer support is the focus of Consumer Matters tonight. Andrew is here with the story of one BC woman's Instagram nightmare, and It was a nightmare. She lost 42,000 followers. Can you imagine? Uh, that's a lot of followers. A lot of followers. Thanks <laughs> for that, Chris. More and more cyber criminals are targeting high-profile Instagram accounts these days. A social media influencer is sharing her story tonight after she was hacked and lost thousands of followers. She eventually got them back, but how she recovered them may surprise you. Her lip art has captured the attention of some of the biggest makeup brands in the world. A social media influencer with tens of thousands of Instagram followers admiring the artwork of Megan Baldini. I lose sleep to do it, <laughs> so if it doesn't really get any bigger than that. But recently, Megan lost a lot of sleep. Her Instagram account was hacked, the cyber criminal hijacking her personal email account and preventing Megan from resetting her Instagram password. So the hacker somehow got into my personal email, then moved to my Instagram to try and log in and did the forget password because they obviously didn't know my Instagram password, which was then sending emails to my personal email for them to change my password without my, without my permission. What's worse, the hacker demanded Megan wire money. She refused to pay, and within two hours, she lost her Instagram account along with all of her followers. Literally within two hours, my account was gone and my access was gone entirely, and I, there was nothing I could do. Megan says she repeatedly reached out to Instagram for help to recover her account, but only received a series of automated messages, one of them informing her, the account you're referring to has been removed. We're unable to restore accounts that have been permanently deleted. You literally feel helpless. There's nothing that you can do. The security expert says he isn't surprised and recommends social media users turn on two-factor authentication or two-step verification as an extra layer of protection which goes beyond a username and password. And the idea is uh, instead of only having to know the secret passcode, which of course sometimes can be stolen, uh, it also sends you a text message and says uh, enter this six-digit number uh, when you log into your account. And so that uh, it means you have to not only know the secret, but you have to have your phone. As for Megan, determined to get her account back, she reached out to LinkedIn on her own, contacting any employee who worked for Facebook or Instagram. A week later, Megan says an employee from Facebook responded, and just like that, she got all of her 42,000 followers back. This after Instagram had previously stated her account had been deleted. They need to get it together because you shouldn't allow people to host their business on their platform without offering customer support. Consumer Matters did reach out to Instagram, but no one from the social networking site responded.
Now, to help combat cyber criminals, security experts also recommend installing antivirus software on your devices and get a password manager so you have strong passwords for your various online accounts. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much for that, Anne. And Apple is warning customers about a glitch affecting its iPhone 10. The company says the device could have issues with the display and may not respond to touch. It might also just act on its own. Apple says it'll replace the faulty component free of charge. No word yet on how many phones have been affected. The troubling escalation of violence in Gaza tonight. Palestinian militants have fired dozens of rockets and mortar shells at southern Israel. And the Israeli military has responded with a wave of airstrikes, including one that destroyed the Hamas TV station in the Gaza Strip. The violence was triggered by a botched Israeli military operation Sunday that ended up killing seven Palestinians and one Israeli officer. The United Nations says it's working with Egypt to try to broker an end to this latest round of fighting. A shocking death of a security guard in suburban Chicago has the man's family suing their local police. The guard stepped in to stop a shooting, but when police got to the scene, they obviously couldn't tell the good guy from the bad guys. Tonight, the family of Jamel Robertson, a security guard at Manny's Blue Room Lounge outside of Chicago, is calling his death unprovoked and unjustified filing a civil rights lawsuit against the Midlothian Police Department and an unnamed officer who shot and killed the 26-year-old. The call came out of shots fired at this location and uh, the police department responded. 4.05 a.m. Sunday, an argument turned into a shootout, according to authorities. Robertson's family says Jamel was holding down one of the men involved in the fight, waiting for help. But instead, police got there, saw that he was armed, and shot him. Altogether, five people were injured, the other four expected to survive. Robertson was supposed to play the organ hours later at a local church. Everybody loved him in the church community. The pastor is stunned. How in the world does the security guard get shot by the police? The officer is on paid administrative leave while state police investigate the shooting. Robertson's family writing, his life was unexpectedly cut short as he tried to save others from senseless violence. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, research shows that a new smartphone app can detect a serious type of heart attack almost as well as an EKG. The Cardia mobile device from AliveCore uses an attachment to take an electrocardiogram and give the patient a report in about 30 seconds. Researchers in Utah tested the app on about 200 patients having chest pain and found it was nearly as accurate as a standard EKG in identifying what's known as a STEMI heart attack, which can be fatal without quick treatment. A program you might not be aware of could turn your next dining experience into a chance to feed a hungry child. Kylie Stanton reports on the growing number of restaurants in B.C. and across Canada joining the Meal Share campaign and feeding the soul, too. 
What can I get you? With so many choices, it can be a tough question to answer. But here at Floyd's Diner, making a decision just got a little easier. Taco salad, for sure. The Mealshare logo next to certain menu items means one thing. So it's very simple, buy one, give one. And it's helping to feed kids in need right across the country. Customer comes in, they purchase that Mealshare item. It doesn't cost them any more. They get their meal just like normal, and they've provided a meal to a local youth in need. Floyd's Diner is one of 15 Victoria-area restaurants taking part in the program. There's three menu items that have Mealshare on them. That's quickly gaining popularity. So whenever someone orders one of those, then we donate um, we donate a meal to someone in need. And so people really enjoy coming back for those three items. So far, that's happened nearly 223,000 times here. And that's just in Victoria. Cities right across the country are participating. In Vancouver, 593,000 meals have been shared, more than 608,000 in Calgary, and 171,000 in Toronto. The money collected goes directly to the Breakfast Club of Canada, a volunteer program working in 1,600 schools from coast to coast, giving students access to a healthy breakfast every morning. We want to make sure that by feeding them in a public place, a school, we give them an access to their own dream and to break the circle of poverty in which sometimes they're cut from one generation to another. But the demand only keeps growing. Nearly 500 schools are on the wait list. That's great, thanks. Now, with Mealshare, everyone has a chance to do their part, to make a decision and make an impact. We go out for meals anyways, and so why not help out while dining out? Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 80 years ago today, the very first vehicles crossed a new bridge in Metro Vancouver and the Lion's Gate became an almost instantly iconic BC landmark. Aaron MacArthur has the fascinating story behind the construction, including some little-known details of why it was built in the first place. It's been 80 years since people first started driving across the first Narrows. Hard to imagine a more quintessential Vancouver landmark. The Lion's Gate Bridge built as a real estate speculation. The Guinness family spending $6 million to service their new subdivision. They bought uh, tax sale lands way up high, what we now call the British properties. And the whole idea was that people would own cars and there would be a kind of car access only suburb, which in a way guarantees exclusivity. Told up until 1963, the narrow bridge had its share of detractors right from the beginning. Called the bridge from nowhere to nowhere when it was first built, traffic quickly outgrew the two lanes. They managed to get a road cut through Stanley Park, which was very strongly resisted at that time. And uh, it really was a game changer for North Shore and, and you know, ultimately for Vancouver itself. By the 1990s, it needed a complete overhaul. But a new bridge was out of the question. So the Lions Gate was rebuilt section by section. The need for a third crossing continues to be floated for the North Shore, but with such strong resistance to user pay, the economics almost impossible to justify. A bridge that would never be built today is now so much a part of the city's identity. Emerging from Stanley Park, framing Vancouver for the world. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just love this video. Pure joy as they experience their first snowfall. The story behind the video that's gone viral right after the forecast. Uh, snow, one meteorological phenomenon that can be 
awesome, depending on how many times you experience it. Lightning is another, and you've got some amazing video, too. That's right. I'm going to step out of the way, Chris. This is from Argentina. A massive lightning strike just outside of the Rosario Airport. It looks like it hits that airplane, but it's actually striking outside of the airport. But just incredible footage. And it had me thinking, actually, uh, it wasn't too long ago that it was thought that lightning strikes only last about a minute or two. But our technology in terms of lightning detection has gotten so much better. So the World Meteorological uh, Organization actually put out some world records. Records for lightning in 2016. The longest distance lightning strike happened in 2007 in Oklahoma, and the flash stretched 321 kilometers. So that's the distance from New York to Washington, for example. A massive, massive strike. And the longest lasting strike was 7.74 seconds, and that was in France. Now, if we go back to this footage, how long was this one? I'll step out of the way. When I look at it, I count about four or five seconds. Look at this. One, two, three, four, five. So pretty long, incredible. Uh, so not a world record, that's for sure, but a very incredible strike. And not, not only that, they caught it on camera. The world record was not caught on camera. It was just detected uh, with their lightning detection um, technology. All right, back home. It was a beautiful morning, frosty morning, but red start to the day. Yes, pink sky in the morning or red sky in the morning. Sailors take warning. Yes, we're in for a change. It was a beautiful long weekend, but we're in for wet weather. So don't leave home without a rain jacket or an umbrella because you're going to need it on your way home tomorrow, especially bundle up the kids because the rain will be on and off right through Wednesday and it comes with a wind warning as well. So this is tomorrow for Haida Gwaii, North Coast and Central Central Coast southerly gusts up to 100 kilometers an hour through much of the day tomorrow. There it is across the north coast there. If you're further inland, the change won't occur for you until Tuesday night or into your Wednesday. So another pleasant day across these southern regions, and you'll see that here across the south coast change in the afternoon hours. Wet on and off. I'm hoping for finally some sunshine Late Friday, maybe just in time for the weekend, it's looking like, Chris. And I'll leave you with a nice shot. Greg Moore. Uh, Ex-Poco uh, uh, mayor sent us this from Pitt Meadows. Nice. That was this morning. Well, mist on the water there, too. Okay, very cool. Thanks, Christy. Well, the first major snowfall of the season is always a novelty, but imagine witnessing the first snowfall of your life. If you were born here, chances are you're too young to remember, but a new viral video shows two immigrant children experiencing a moment they'll never forget. Global's Tom Hayes has the backstory. <laughs> Maybe not a full-on snow day, but pretty exciting when you've never seen snow before. <laughs> Seven-year-old Zabiba and her little brother, Kater, had no idea what was falling and landing on Kater's head. <laughs> she said it's beautiful when it came. Mom Jamila and four kids under the age of seven just arrived in Toronto's Ronson's Vale neighborhood. They had escaped Eritrea and spent the last few years in a refugee camp in Sudan. The first purchase warm coats to tackle the cold, which leads us to something else they've never seen before. Like their new favorite treat. She said it's her favorite uh, 
uh, Canadian food, the ice. The ice. Yeah. All Jamila knew about Canada was what she saw on TV. She's now learning about all things cold and all things Canadian and learning quickly. A lighthearted moment after years of waking up every day and wondering about a future for her kids and herself. I'm very happy to be uh, here and learning the Canadian uh, culture and being here with the Canadian people. Zabiba is looking forward to the same things all seven-year-olds look forward to. She said you want to go to school and anything else. So the fun is just beginning here. How excited are they for the next snowfall? Well, we asked, and this was the answer. No interpretation needed. Tom Hayes, Global News. Got to get those kids some skis or a snowboard or something like that if they're or a sled. that excited about For it. Them, no it's doubt. like the movie Frozen came to real life. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Just before Squire, check out this move at a minor league baseball game in the Dominican Republic. The umpire calls strike. Ah. <laughs> Did he touch a, home plate? A player decides to try to steal home plate. You can look at the Superman jump here over the catcher. Even past home oh, yeah. plate, he crawls back. Apparently, he's safe. Uh, he gets his hand back there. See? He crawls back. The ump goes safe. I don't know. I saw the catch. Remember when Chris Coughlin and the Blue Jays did that? Jumped over Yadier Morlina? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Uh, okay. So, you know whose birthday it is? Did you get him a gift? No? Elias Pedersen? It's his 20th birthday. <laughs> if uh, he keeps playing his entire career the way he started it, his birthday might one day be a holiday in British Columbia. <laughs> That's true. He is celebrating in New York where the Canucks play the Islanders tomorrow in Brooklyn, and they are in Manhattan to play the Rangers tonight. But it's the eighth straight start for another Swede, Jacob Markstrom. He's been busy with uh, Anders Nilsson Hurt. Nikolai Goldobin has just come out of the penalty box. It's a two-on-one. Shoot, he scores. Doesn't pass the Hutton. He's had some chances to score, but he... Hasn't put it in until now. That's the second goal of the year. So it's one nothing for the Canucks. Here's another two-on-one for Vancouver. Erickson, Michael Delzato, one post, two posts. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. One post, two posts. Red post, blue post. Oh, here's a chance for Schaller. Oh. Anyway, it stays one nothing. And then a fight. You just don't see these much anymore. Darren Archibald, Cody McLeod. I think McLeod got the decision there. But Archibald's okay. All right, power play for the Rangers. Philip Heedle. Puck bounces right to where he wants it. And that's easy. 1-1. One, one. one more look. Not going to miss that. Markstrom has no chance. So 1-1. One, one. Another fortunate bounce for the Rangers in the third period. Off a face-off. Puck drops right for Brett Howden. And again... There's no way Markson's going to be able to get set for that. That made it 2-1. Canucks had a power play in the last minute. So six on four. Birthday boy with a chance. He's the right guy for the job, but an older Swede makes the stops. Henrik Lundqvist and Vancouver loses this one by the score of 2-1. Well, here's a story that proves you can, in fact, go home again. Notre Dame football coach Dennis Kelly is back at Notre Dame after helping build a great program at W.J. Mowat, and last Friday he had to play his old team with his new old team. Dennis
Dennis Kelly's high school football coaching career has come full circle. Dennis is back on the sideline coaching the Notre Dame Jugglers. Last week, his team delivered one of Notre Dame's biggest wins of the season, demolishing W.J. Mode of Abbotsford 56-14 in the AAA quarterfinals. For Kelly, who spent over two decades building the Moat football program from ground up into a high school champion, it was a win full of mixed emotions. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a, a tough experience to be playing against uh, my friends from Mowat and, and uh, the whole program there that I uh, spent uh, 29 years involved. You know, my whole life was dedicated to that program. You know, football is such a me, me versus you type of thing and it's, uh, hard, uh, it, it's hard to get over that, uh, that feeling, but it, I think it worked out okay. Game's not over. Got another half to play. Dennis has seen coaching from both sides of the high school gridiron tracks, the haves versus the have-nots, as in student population base. For a triple-A team like Notre Dame, their talent pool is considerably smaller than much larger schools. And yes, there is a correlation between school size and winning. You have to have a very special group, especially when you're dealing with uh, you know, a school our size, because you're dealing against uh, Lord's Tweets Mirror with uh, 2,000 students, Terry Fox with almost that many. Win the fourth, win the game! The jugglers know all about winning, just not of late. Their last AAA title was in 1993. They came close two years ago, losing the Subway Bowl to Terry Fox in overtime, and it's the team they'll meet in this weekend's semifinal. This is our second year with Coach Kelly, and just knowing what he has done in this province and at Mowat and here and SFU, just all of that. So to come back and play Mowat and beat them and just to make it further into the playoff is special. Okay, when quarterbacks yell at the line of scrimmage, their words are codes for their teammates. To Omaha! I was going to mention that. Oh, we're okay. That was what Peyton Manning always used to yell was Omaha at the line of scrimmage. Okay, so on the weekend, Sunday, the game between the Rams and the Seahawks, Jared Goff, the L.A. Rams quarterback, didn't yell a city name, didn't yell a color. He yelled actress Halle Berry's name. Listen. Now, I thought maybe he saw Halle Berry in the stands. Hey, look, it's Halle Berry, Halle Berry over there. But that wasn't the case at all. So, you think Halle Berry heard about it? Uh, yes, in fact, she did. Hold up, Jared Goff. What is a Halle Berry? I'm not even sure I know because it looked like a broken play. But anyway, Halle Berry. Coming up on ET Canada, dozens of stars flee their homes as blazing wildfires engulf California. Plus, we're backstage with the winners of the E People's Choice Awards and remembering the incredible life of Stanley. All of that's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Cheryl. Yeah, a lot of people talking about Stan Lee today. He was a creative dynamo who helped revolutionize the comic book and then turned a lot of those creations into blockbuster movies. I was just going to say, if it wasn't for him, Hollywood wouldn't have made any money the last right? few years. Yeah. It's true. So Stan Lee, as Cheryl mentioned, once the top writer and publisher at Marvel Comics, he died today at the age of 95, and millions of people are remembering him for his heroic take on life. 
Stan Lee was the man. He created or co-created most of the roster of Marvel Comics' pantheon of superheroes. Spider-Man, the Hulk, the Fantastic Four, X-Men, Iron Man, and more. Each a kind of outsider with a very believable inside. <gasps> it's no fun reading about somebody who's perfect. You want to read about people that you can identify with because we've all got problems and we've all, we're all flawed. Marvel Comics started in the early 60s. Lee and his collaborators were risk-takers, writing their characters far beyond the range of their comic book rivals. The brand would grow so attractive, Disney purchased it in 2009 for $4 billion. I never freeze. And since then, Marvel movies and franchises have dominated the superhero world. My son, it is your time. Lee, like Alfred Hitchcock, put himself in many a film. Name? Stan Lee. And in the end, Lee couldn't help but marvel at his success. I still sometimes have trouble believing it, because all I was doing was trying to just make a living. So all I was doing was having fun. Enough said. Harry Smith, NBC News, New York.